Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast, the second episode of the year 2023. And here we are rolling into a new year. And I wanted to do something a little bit different. Typically, I'll walk down through a passage or I'll reflect on a single topic. And in a sense, that's what we're going to do on this episode. But uh, what I really want to do is I want to give some wisdom that I think is helpful to us as we enter into this new year and as we reflect on where we stand, where we live as God's people in the world at this point in time in God's purposes and God's plans. And so I want to give five implications from where we left off in our Advent series, from the fact that we are living where we are at this point in time in God's purposes and that we are still waiting for God to fulfill all his purposes for us. And so five implications of that truth. We uh, ended the year and really started this new year by looking at uh, an Advent series and looking at our Advent hope and looking at God's promise really from Abraham down through the ages, through Israel and in being fulfilled initially in Jesus. And yet, even though Jesus is the initial fulfillment of our Advent hope, we said in the last two episodes of the podcast that we live in between the times where we're, we have the initial fulfillment, but not the final fulfillment, where God's uh, kingdom has come but it hasn't been completed where Messiah has come and he has uh, released us from our sins and forgiven us. He has risen from the dead. He new life is not work in the world, right? Uh, old things have passed away. New creation has come, but new creation hasn't been completed yet. We live between the already and the not yet. Um, that is where we're at. And that means we are still uh, waiting for all of God's purposes and plans to be fulfilled. And so we have some things now, but not everything yet. And that position of waiting in the in-between time for all that God has for his people brings with it just a handful of implications, plenty of implications, I'm sure. I want to look at on this episode just five of those implications all right, and so just going to list them off, kind of reflect on each one a little bit, move on to the next one. And so the first one is this, and all of these really are fairly obvious. This one should be completely obvious, and that's th that uh, this isn't all there is. Since we are still waiting for new creation to come completely and finally, this, this life, this world, um, even this salvation, this isn't all there is. And I think that's really important for us because sometimes, even as Christian people, particularly in our world where we have access to like the highlight reels of everyone's life on uh, social media, and we can see all the good things from their life, and we see all the highlight reels, uh, or we get other people, you know, who are traveling all over the place, or who have these beautiful, perfect homes and beautiful, perfect families, right? And we can easily then look at our life and we feel like, man, I need to squeeze as much joy out of this life as possible. I need to squeeze as much pleasure and happiness and fun and satisfaction out of this life as I possibly can. And so we spend our, our life trying to, to uh, satisfy our sense of meaning and purpose and joy and like fill up our soul with all the stuff 
of this present world. But the fact is, this is not all there is. This is not as good as it gets. Maybe as good as your life is now, um, this isn't as good as it gets. Or as maybe challenging and difficult as your life is now, this isn't all there is. There is a whole lot more that God has in store for us. A couple of passages I think of when I think about that particular implication. One is interesting one. It's Psalm chapter 73, Psalm 73. And it's just an interesting little psalm where the psalmist basically is looking around at the world. He's looking around at people who don't know God. They don't walk with God. He refers to them as the wicked. They're, they're just the people completely outside of God's covenant, outside of relationship with God. And man, it just seems like they have it all in Psalm 73. He's looking around. He's like, man, they're, they're fat and happy. They got everything they need. Their life looks so good, right? Everything is beautiful and perfect for them and not so for me. And it just seemed like, is it really worth it to follow God? Is it really worth it to be good? The way he says it in Psalm 73 is like this. He says, behold, these are the wicked. And they're always at ease. They've increased in wealth. And then he says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Like doing what's right, trying to be faithful to God and trying to please him. Man, that was vain. That's an empty project. Um, and then he says in verse 15 of Psalm 73, if I had said, I'll speak this way. Behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children in prayer to God. Like if I had said that, oh God, I would have betrayed the generation of your, your children. When I thought about understanding all this, man, it was troublesome. I couldn't make sense out of this until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I saw their end. Uh, you indeed put them on slippery ground. You dropped them into ruin. They are destroyed in a moment. And so what, what the psalmist is saying is, I looked around and it's like, man, they've got everything. They're having such a great life. They're fat, happy, wealthy. They've they got pleasure to know in. And then all of a sudden I went, I went into worship God and all of a sudden it hit me and I realized, yeah, but there's more to life than this life than the now. And I perceived their end and I don't want to be at the end of the road where their road is leading. Um, this isn't all there is. Uh, there's more to life than just this. Another passage I think of is Colossians chapter 3, at the, right at the beginning of the chapter, where he says that um, you have been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. And so he says, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. Like, Fix your gaze, make your focus on God's things. The things above is a way of referring to God's things. So set your mind on God's things and on heaven. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. Like there's glory to come. Christ is our ultimate life. There's more to come than this. And so the glory of this present world isn't all there is. The goodness and the beauty and the pleasure, as much of that as there is in this world, it's not all there is. And so that's the first implication of this fact that we live in between the times and we're still waiting for all that God has for us. This life, this world, these relationships, even, even our relationship with God, this isn't as good as it gets. Second implication uh, from all of this is that um, the path to glory, uh, 
travels through suffering. This is sort of a, a hard implication for us to face, a difficult reality, but it is a reality and we need to come to terms with it. We need to reconcile ourselves to it, that we're on our way to glory. There is more to be had than this present world, but the, the path there travels through suffering. Um, we see this in a number of ways, in a number of places in the scriptures. Let me just read one. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 18 says this, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. And if we're children, then we're also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We talked about that uh, last week and that we, we are going to inherit God himself and everything that he's going to give to his king, his son, Jesus. We're heirs of all of that. And then he says, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be also glorified with him. Notice that, that the path to our inheritance, the route to glory goes through suffering. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. And then he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so it travels through suffering, but the suffering and the glory, they don't even compare. Like no matter how great the suffering may get or may seem, uh, the glory that is to come far outweighs that. And the reality is, is in this life, there is suffering, there is hardship, there is difficulty of various kinds and to varying degrees. And some of that depends on the place where we were born and where we live, right? And grow up, there's suffering that I, I myself will never know because I live in the United States of America, but you might know because you live somewhere else in the world. Uh, and so there's just different kinds of suffering. There's financial suffering. There's uh, physical suffering, like just health ail ailments and issues. There's relational suffering, um, maybe with your adult kids, maybe with extended family, maybe with friends, right? There's relational suffering. There's, um, there's suffering specifically for your faith because where you're living or the circumstances of your life make it so that, man, you've had to deal with some real hardships because of uh, the fact that you're a follower of Jesus. And the reality is, is living in the in-between time, between the already and the not yet, while we're waiting for all that God has for us, means that there's just going to be hardship. This world isn't uh, all it's cracked up to be. Um, as great as it is and as beautiful as it is, it's still broken. Um, there still is rebellion against God and against his king. Uh, there, there still is physical hardship because the world is broken. There still is relational hardship because the world is broken. And so the path to glory travels through suffering. And that leads to a third implication, and that is that endurance is needed and is a real good. It's a real value and a real benefit to our life and to our soul and to our discipleship. It's a real value to our relationships. Like endurance is needed in this life because it travels through suffering and there's various kinds of difficulty. And endurance is actually really a good thing for us as human beings. There's real value in perseverance. A passage that I think of in regard to that, fairly well-known passage in the New Testament, James chapter 1, says this, 
Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So you're going through suffering. You have various kinds of difficulty or hardships. And he says, count it all joy. Just reckon it as a beneficial and a good thing for you. Why? Well, he explains, knowing that the testing of your faith through various kinds of trials, that your faith is tested and purified and refined and strengthened, produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Um, That endurance is needed and it's good. It's really a good thing for us and it helps form our character. It helps us learn things about ourselves and about God and about this life and about what really matters that we would never learn if we didn't have difficulty that we faithfully suffered through and endured. And so endurance is needed. Since since the path to glory travels through suffering, it's needed and it's good for us. It strengthens us. It helps us become the kind of people that God wants us to be. Is it fun? No. Is it easy? No. Is it pleasurable? No. But James tells us we can count it as joy because we know the benefit and the value of it. And so we need to remember that as we go through this life and as we deal with things that are less than ideal, as we experience some disappointment, some sadness, some loss, some grief, as we experience maybe some pain and some ailments, as we uh, realize that life is racing by and, man, we don't have a whole lot of time left, or whatever it is, um, we can fix our gaze on what God has for us in the future, and we can faithfully walk with God through all of that, and that will actually help us um, become the kind of people that God created us to be, is calling us to be. And so even though this world is hard, and even though there is suffering, um, God, in his providence and in his wisdom, can use that as like the school for character to form us and to refine us and to purify us. And that's a good thing. All right. The fourth implication is this, that what we do now has eternal ramifications. Since there is more to come, Since we live in hope, hope of an eternal world, hope of eternal life, hope of a new heavens and a new earth, since we live there, what we do now actually really matters. Like the the choices we make, the kind of person we become, the way we treat others, what we do with our time and our resources, what we do with our abilities, that all really matters. Um, And it matters not just for the here and now, for my own benefit now, it it matters forever, like has eternal ramifications. Again, another uh, important passage on that regard, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, listen to these words, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 reminds us that, man, what we do now really matters. It says this, for, 2 Corinthians 5 10, for we must all, like all of us, must appear appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we may be repaid for the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. So every single one of us is going to have to stand before the evaluation of King Jesus. 
at his judgment seat, his bema, where he's going to sort out the details of our life and we're going to be recompensed, repaid, it says, for what we've done with our life, the deeds done in the body. We're going to be held accountable to that. Um, so for ourselves, what we do now and the choices we make and uh, the kind of person we, we become, that has eternal ramifications for ourselves. Uh, what we do now has eternal ramifications for our, for, for our impact on other people, like whoever that is. <clears throat> if you're a parent and you're raising kids, the kind of person you are, the way you spend your time, the shows you watch, how you interact with your kids, uh, the kind of conversations you have at home, the way you talk to your spouse, right? All that stuff is going to have an impact on your kids for good or for ill. It has eternal ramifications. Um, as a grandparent, like the way I interact with my grandkids and my adult kids, that's going to have an impact. So in our family, uh, our life has an impact. Uh, the way we interact with our neighbors, and the people at the store, it all has an impact for eternal. So the, the kind of things we do now, our deeds done in the body, it's going to have an impact for all eternity. This quote um, from C.S. Lewis that I'm about to read, I just think is a powerful statement of the impact of our lives on other people. This is what he says. He says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Don't get lost by that. He simply means by people that um, have the potential for, for being immortal and being glorified and living forever. That's what he means by that. And so it's, it's a serious thing to live in a society of people with the capacity for eternal life. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It's in light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life as of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors, or everlasting splendors. And so the way we act and the way we treat people now has eternal ramifications. And that's just incredibly important for us to bear in mind as we go about our life and as we think about the choices we're making and the way we're talking and the way we're interacting with people and the kind of character we have and the kind of person we're becoming. What you do now has eternal ramifications. And then the fifth, uh, the fifth implication of this fact that we are still waiting for all that God has for us is this, is that hope sustains joy. Like hope gives strength and stability and the ability to rejoice even in the midst of some of these other realities. Like though life may be good, there still are dissatisfactions and disappointments. Hope sustains joy. Life may be hard, and hope reminds us there's a new world coming and all of this can't hold a candle to what's 
what God has prepared for us. Hope sustains joy. Um, life may be just kind of ho-hum right now, and yet we can have incredible joy because we know that God has incredible things planned for his people. And there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and it's going to exceed anything that we could possibly imagine. Hope sustains joy. Um, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, Paul's listing off just a handful of things as he's kind of describing how he wants the people there in the church at Rome to live. And in the midst of all that, Romans 12, 12, he has this little itty-bitty three-word phrase that says, rejoicing in hope rejoicing in hope. Man, that captures really how we go about our life. Right now, whatever's going on, we can rejoice because of hope. And so that's that that really is one of the ways we conduct ourselves and carry out our life. Rejoicing in hope. This world isn't all there is. There's more to come. Uh, it's sometimes hard and difficult and endurance is needed. Man, the choices we make now have eternal ramifications. And thus, we fix our gaze on what lies ahead and we rejoice because we know that God has prepared a wonderful place for us. Uh, another passage out of the book of Romans that uh, fits this theme and I think is really important for us just to, again, memorize, meditate on, think through. Uh, Romans chapter 5. It says this. Romans 5 says, let me just pick up in verse 1, and I'm just going to read down through it, and I'll highlight the part I want us to really pay attention to. Romans 5.1. Therefore, Having been justified by faith, that is, having been acquitted, pardoned, declared not guilty because of our faith in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Notice that we stand in grace, this relationship with God now marked by graciousness and kindness and favor, peace and all that. We have this secure relationship with God in which we stand, and then here it is, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. What does exult mean? Exult means to proudly rejoice. It means to celebrate. Like uh, if you're a sports fan and your team wins the championship and you're with all your friends and uh, your team wins, they pull out the game, they win the championship, and there's hugs and there's high fives and they're celebrating, right? Um, that's exulting. Um or whatever it is, a great moment in life where it's like uh, you just can't believe it happened. Um, some promotion, some reward, or some sort of thing. And there's celebrating and exulting. It's proudly rejoicing. Well, notice what he says. We exult, we celebrate, we proudly rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, this is really the posture with which we live our lives. That as we live in the in-between times, where everything isn't all it's cracked up to be, where, man, we have a lot of good mixed sometimes with some real difficulty and some real hardship, we who know Christ, we who know the end of the story, who, who know what God has prepared for us, we who know that, even if we don't know all the details, we only have hints and glimpses, it still exceeds um, our, our wildest imaginations. And so we go about this life as it is, exulting, rejoicing, celebrating in that hope of the glory of God, of seeing and experiencing the very glory of God himself and inheriting all the glory that God has for us as his people. That's how we live. And so hope sustains 
our joy, even in the midst of the ups and downs, the twists and turns of this life. And that, my friends, is good news. And so as we enter into 2023 and we enter into this year, I want to encourage you to live in hope to uh, remember what God has prepared for us, to remember that um, you don't have to try to um, get all your satisfaction in this world. Um, you don't have to ignore or avoid all diff difficulty or be dishonest about it, right? Like we can be honest about the hardship and we can still rejoice in hope. Um, I, I hope that your hope actually fills you with strength to stand firm and endure even when it's hard. So may you rejoice in hope this year as you fix your gaze on what God has prepared for you in the future. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Bible in Life. Thanks to all of you who make The Bible in Life ministry, this podcast, the listener's commentary, and all that goes with it. Thanks to all of you who make that possible by your faithful financial support. The listener's commentary, The Bible in Life, it's all made possible by the generous support of people just like you. So thanks a ton if you're one of the supporters. And if you have been impacted by this ministry, would you just prayerfully consider uh, supporting this ministry? You can set up a recurring donation at johnwhitaker.net. Click the Give button, and you can set up a, a recurring donation right there. You can give a one-time donation right there as well. So thanks a ton for your support. May God bless you for it. I look forward to talking with you again next week. <music>